0: a big snake no no a really big snake your hand could make you a lot of money get your mind out of the gutter And car misconceptions, things your mechanic probably doesn't want you to know about, but we're going to tell you anyway. Got that and more coming up. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Happy Monday. (laughs) Yeah, Monday's almost over for us here in Malaysia, wherever you might be on the planet, across the world. We are broadcasting live on twitch.tv, Facebook Live, Facebook Watch uh youtube of course on our youtube channel and calvin young is like the stream thank you calvin welcome in <clears throat> tip of the hat and hi-ho to you and also of course we're on rumble.com you can always find us on rumble no matter what wherever may ban us or not be able to put us on the air or whatever we will always be at rumble.com you can find all of our shows 257 as of tonight wow yeah, and also, of course, uh, the audio part of our show is a podcast. We put it out there. It's on all the podcast platforms, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple, iTunes, of course, um, Stitcher, Radio Public, Geo7 in India. Got a big uh, audience there in India. Hey to you. And uh, you'll find us there. Just search for The Jay Sheldon Show on whatever your favorite podcast Platform is, and search for that logo, and then just click follow or subscribe, and uh, off you go. It's just that easy. All right, so we got a lot coming up tonight, and uh, first off, we're going to get you updated on our favorite little furry friend, Miko update. yes, the Miko update. She is. Uh, she's doing well. Uh, she did not get a uh, a walk until late tonight because. As always, it was raining. Uh, we did get a good, uh, good walk in this morning. She's, uh, she's doing well. And, uh, of course, um, this was her attitude today. <laughs> Again, if you're on the podcast, just check out the video of our show over on Rumble.com. And, uh, yeah, this look at this. This was not her being vicious. She was actually yawning. But uh, the girl's got some chompers. I'm telling you, those are some sharp teeth. Anyway, I I love that shot. So uh, there you go. There's a good old Miss Miko. And of course, uh, the Miko update is brought to you by our new sponsor, BarkBox.com. There is a link in the top of our description, our show notes down below, and it will take you to BarkBox.com. Now, this is for our U.S., U.S. territories, and Canadian viewers. Sadly, they don't yet ship internationally. Now, if you are in Malaysia, where we also have a big audience, and you're dying to get this product, there are ways, you know, like forward shippers, people that give you an address somewhere else, you can have it shipped to in the US, and then they ship it to you. So it's possible to do that. You you know, I I just talked to somebody yesterday about that. Uh, They really wanted to try out the product, but they, of course, they're in Malaysia. So they're going to sign up for one of those I don't know what they're called, forward shipping kind of places. Anyway, if you're in the U.S., please do check them out with the link in our show notes down below. And that will give you some special discounts because it's our special link. And uh, who's that? I can't read it. Somebody, Raji, I think. I'm sorry, I I can't read your name, but thank you for the like. I appreciate that. Thank you a lot. Uh, So BarkBox will give your dog exactly... What they want it is a totally customizable box of themed toys and treats. every month you sign up it's a subscription service. you can sign up just once for one month or six months or 12 months of course the longer you sign up the less it is a month and uh, every month they have different themes. Uh, I love this they've got dumplings. check it out. We are coming up on mid-autumn festival and uh, that'll be just a couple weeks away. But yeah, look at this BarkBox actually has some XL Andy dumplings. I don't quite know what that is, but yeah, uh, best enjoyed without pants in front of the TV, <laughs> hot and steamy. Uh, so yeah, you can actually get uh, get uh, some dumplings there as a it's do- a dog toy. Okay, uh, a yacht float. There's all kinds of free offers here on our site over at BarkBox.com and you subscribe for your monthly box you get some great toys and some very healthy well-made natural snacks and a chew every month for your dog forever however long you sign up for and your first box will ship immediately and of course your month long doggy party begins so you can spoil your pup with a bark box please use the link in our show notes to check out barkbox.com and do sign up and uh, check them out. They are they are a great company. I've checked them out thoroughly before. I brought them in as a sponsor, and uh, their customer service second to none. If you're not happy with something in your box each month, you call them up. They'll replace it. It's just like no questions asked, just like that. So yeah, we're very pleased with BarkBox, and we welcome them aboard. And Miko highly recommends the BarkBox. Okay. <laughs> All right, Uh, let me see here. We've got to close a couple of tabs because, as usual, we're running on empty. Hey, if you're not in Malaysia, I'll bet you probably heard about this anyway. But a huge, huge congratulations to Aaron Chia So Wu Yeek, making history after winning Malaysia's first ever badminton world title. Check it out. Aaron Chia and Sue Wu Yeek went down in the history books and brought Malaysia its very first ever world badminton title. I told you before, folks, if you're listening in other parts of the world, especially the U.S. where I grew up, uh, badminton is kind of the thing you play at, family picnics and it's not thought of as a big deal it's like bowling or badminton you know trust me in Asia particularly in Malaysia now has been for a long time but uh, this sport is incredible it is so popular and yes Malaysia has won the world title in badminton for the first time ever wow we are so amazingly proud of these guys. They did an unbelievable job. Quite exciting. And to see that Malaysian flag up there being raised above the others was uh, was quite a sight. It was, uh, wow. I, literally, I got chills. I got goosebumps. Fantastic. Such a great, great story. That happened over the weekend. And, uh wow, amazing. All right. Your hand... Can make you money. Now get your mind out of the gutter. It's true. You know, we spoke about this before. We talked about how people, because I'm in the film and television business, people will come to me and say, you eh, know, I'm not good looking enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome enough. Uh, I'm not Leng Tai, Leng Loi. I, I can't be an actor. Bullcrap. I gave you a list. I told you about people like Kevin Spacey. Marty Feldman, you name it. The folks who have unbelievable careers in in acting, in film, television. Not because they looked good. They don't look good. But because they can act. All right. So anyway, if you think perhaps that uh, modeling is not for you, ah, au contraire, my friends. This from Insider, Business Insider. uh, There's a link in our show notes. Uh, You can check out the whole video. But a hand model, parts models as they're known, they model with hands or feet, maybe teeth, hair. You can earn up to 4000 USD a day. Can you imagine? I like it. Wow. I love it. I want some more of it. In this thing, they interviewed a hand model about his hand career, Uh, It involves, (laughs) you may want to be prepared if you're going to go into the hand modeling business, moisturizing 30 times a day and two manicures a week. He talks about the preventative measures he takes to protect his hands, like avoiding cats and washing dishes. Oh, nice excuse, huh? Well, while the industry shut down at the start of the pandemic, it is slowly getting back to business, social distancing, PPE measures, and all that bullcrap in place. So anyway, uh, they did this interview. It, this is no ordinary hand, the hand of a hand model. You don't know it, but it's one you've seen before, holding cups and Starbucks ads, even acting as Jay-Z's hand in a Samsung commercial. And nothing wrong with Jay-Z's hands, by the way. It's just particularly that... They're putting the camera over your shoulder, you know, and they needed his face. That don't need his hands for those type of things. And that's why the hand model gets called. Ray worked as a hand model for 10 years to keep his hands camera ready. He moisturizes 30 times a day. It gets at least two manicures a week because, you know, not just your hands and the skin and all that stuff and the wrinkles and your knuckles. But your nails, of course, too, have to all be perfect and all the cuticles and everything else. My hands are terrible, by the way. Um, What does it take? What makes Ray's hand so special? For one, complexion. It's ideal for editing. If you see on, there you go. Uh, If I'm not mistaken in this video, Ray is a African-American, I think. Let's see. There you go. And then, yep, there he is. There's a picture of Ray. So this is the hand model. And apparently his hands are perfect for editing, according to this story. Uh, Wow. Uh, We all have a variety of different complexions, so mine works really well because it seems to be a bit ambiguous in post-production. They can lighten it, or they can darken it. Ray's hands are also the perfect size. So what keeps me working a lot is that my hands are rather big, but not too big. I can grab a phone, especially today's phones, uh, and my hand looks natural holding them. They don't look too small. And they don't look too big. It actually seems like it's the perfect hand for a phone. (laughs) But you need more than just the right hands. You have to know how to use them. Hand modeling is harder than it looks. Ray says sometimes you're asked to do some really funky positions that are totally unnatural, but on camera, of course, it looks natural, looks perfect, and that's all that matters is what goes through the lens. Shoots can be physically taxing, especially when hand models are asked to hold objects up for a long period of time, you can imagine. Shoots uh, sometimes last up to 12 hours, and models can find themselves in uncomfortable position under hot lights and intense scrutiny. Uh, Like having your hands up like this for a second, no biggie. 10 minutes starts to wear on you. (laughs) Anyway, Ray's got tricks up his sleeve. He makes some suggestions. If you want to get into the business, it's a great article, great video. Check it out. It's from businessinsider.com. And the link, as always, is uh, is in our show notes. So you can uh, go over there and Find out more about it if you think maybe hand modeling is for you. Could be. All right. Been to the mechanics lately? Spent any money on your car lately? Well, we've got a cool article. It's from yourmoneymagic.com. The link, as always, is in our show notes. Some common car maintenance and safety misconceptions. If you're a car owner, You've heard phrases like SUVs are safer compared to smaller cars, warm up your engine before driving, especially during the winter season, if they have winter where you are, or even use premium gas if you want to maintain a clean engine. How accurate are those statements? Apparently, not very, which begs the question, how many common car myths do you still subscribe to using premium fuel for a cleaner engine? Well, because premium gas has a higher octane rating than conventional, it's recommended for high-performance vehicles, and it's often used in motorsport. When compared to conventional gas, premium gas improves the performance of a vehicle, like, say, a BMW M3. High-octane fuel, on the other hand, is Only a problem for powerful engines. Premium gas is not cleaner, cleaner than regular gasoline. By the way, I'm saying gasoline for Americans in the audience. Here in Malaysia and most of Asia, we say petrol. Gas is like natural gas. We don't call it gas here. We call it petrol. So anyway, premium petrol is not cleaner than regular petrol, contrary to a popular misconception. It is entirely unnecessary to fuel your vehicle with high-octane petrol unless it has a very powerful engine. How about that? Here's another one. I, I used to go by this like the Bible. An oil change is necessary every 3,000 miles. Again, sorry, do the conversion into kilometers if you're in a country that doesn't use miles, but this article's from the States. Oil changes normally are recommended every 3,000 miles by car dealers. Oil and filter changes were once required on a regular basis to keep the engine in good working order. Most vehicles, most can now be safely driven with oil replenishments every 7,500 miles. Twice, more than twice, thanks to developments in engine durability and oil quality. How weird is that? Uh, oil changes recommended every 10,000 miles by several manufacturers, including Ford and Porsche. Yeah, if you use synthetic oil in your car, You could potentially go up to 15,000 miles between oil changes. To me, that's, like, unheard of. But there it is in black and white. Wow. Uh, Okay, one more, and there's a whole list of them here. Check out the article. It's in our show notes. We'll do just one more. Placing a car's battery on concrete damages it. Now, I'd never heard this one. Instead of putting batteries on concrete shelves... You may increase their life by storing them in wooden shelves. According to this myth, putting a car battery on concrete will cause irreparable damage. Placing it on concrete may have drained all of its power in the early days of batteries a century ago, but not today. Engineering has progressed over the last hundred years, And as you might expect, modern batteries are covered in plastic or strong rubber, making this myth dead in the water. A battery will not be drained if it's placed on concrete. The old days, that was a fact. Nowadays, not so much. Actually, not at all. So there you go. Uh, Like I said, it's a cool article. Check it out. The link's in our show notes if you want to uh, take a look over there. It'll open in a new window. And, uh, yeah, um, car myths, cool beans. All right, I'm going to warn you, if you're not a snake person, and I'm not a snake person, this next story may not be for you. It's from Ice Tech dot info. The Titanoboa. You ever heard of it? Not a lot of people have. It's extinct. It supposedly, hopefully, doesn't exist anymore. But what if? What if the Titanoboa monster snake didn't go extinct. And you think this picture here is an artist's representation? Well, it is. But it's an accurate one. This is the size of what was. They're extinct now, we think. We hope. This is the size of what was called the Titanoboa. A terrifyingly large snake that once lived in modern-day Colombia. Titanoboa monster snake measured 50 feet long and weighed up to 2,500 pounds. That's more than a ton. Wow. Deep in a South South American jungle, a huge snake once stalked its prey. After slinking closer and closer to an unsuspecting animal, The silent hunter would strike in a flash and snap the victim's neck in one swift move. The prey likely never even heard the Titanoboa coming. Amidst the cacophony of the prehistoric jungle some 60 million years ago, no animal had a chance against what is known as the biggest snake in history. It thrived in tropical jungles in South America some 5 million years after the dinosaurs went extinct. The death of the giant reptile left a huge vacuum at the top of the food chain because Titanoboa was there and stepped right up into it. Prehistoric species, 50 feet in length, as much as 2,500 pounds. Long as a semi-trailer, tractor trailer you see on the highway, and about twice as heavy as a polar bear. At its thickest point, biggest around, it was three feet wide. That's almost a meter. Longer than a human arm. In the hot humid jungle, Titanoboa fit right in. Brown skin camouflaged it perfectly as it slunk through muddy waters. uh, Scientists think it was killed, or that it did kill, by constricting and asphyxiating its prey like a boa. Others argue that it looked like a boa constrictor. It behaved like an anaconda, lurking in the shadows and ambushing unsuspecting animals with a stunning blow. This thing is scary. It said the great snake likely swallowed its giant prey whole, And if you had the terrifying experience of staring into Titanoboa's mouth, you would be no exception. It would kill you before you even had a chance to scream. It's a shocking recent discovery. They found a bone or two and uh, were able to piece together. Sadly, all of a snake's facial muscles are what give it its strength the jaws and the bones in the face of a snake are very brittle because all of its strength comes from the muscles in its, in its head. So very seldom does any part of a snake's head survive, especially five million years. But um, they found pieces, a massive vertebrae, too large to belong to any jungle serpent on record, An incredible find and researchers immediately began combing mines for fragments uh, of the Jungle Titan. Uh, Their working theory was the massive snake to which the vertebrae belonged had been caught in a mudslide that buried it. Millions of years, dozens of feet of rock later, the bone became part of rich coal fields, which meant there might be others. This thing is incredible. They found uh, more bones. They were able to put it together and figure out exactly how big and how heavy this thing would have been. Wow. But you know what? There is more of, let's say, the Amazon rainforest that no human has ever been to or ever discovered. And I'll just bet you there are things lurking in those rainforests and jungles scare the pants off of anybody and I wouldn't be surprised if something like this maybe is still out there crawling around so end of the day good luck with your nightmares tonight <laughs> it's good <laughs> I'm telling you no thank you uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> oh, I'm not a fan I am not a snake fan at all I will tell you though big snakes cuz we have um we have uh, pythons here in Malaysia in fact in in my area uh there was just recently one sighted uh, I think it was actually it had died it was in one of the drains uh but it was a good sized python and people will find them in their houses and On their front gates and things, you'll you'll find them quite commonly here in Malaysia. Um, I've seen a couple of very large pythons uh, that were hit, sadly hit by a car on the side of the road, but they were enormous. And uh, we've got cobras here also, including king cobras. So, yeah. Uh, Anyway, my point being, I don't so much mind the big snakes, you know, because they. I mean, okay, they're dangerous, but they're big. It's those little, like, one meter and shorter snakes. Those are the ones that scare the hell out of me, because they're fast. No, thank you. I'll take a big boa any day, or a big python, over one of those little creepy, crawly, one meter long. Anyway, that's the kind of snakes I'm not into at all. But in general, snakes, you can go the other way. All right, the Malay Mail, I got a link in our show notes tonight. In a couple of weeks, it will be, I mentioned this earlier, the start of Mid Autumn Festival. Huge celebration. And part of that celebration is to go out under the hopefully full moon, uh, if it's a clear night, and drink tea and eat mooncakes. It's a celebration in Asia that's been going on for hundreds, thousands of years. And every year at this time, you'll see them all over the store. There are all kinds of mooncakes for sale. And this is a very cool article. Uh, It talks about weird flavors of mooncakes. Normally, a mooncake traditionally would have either lotus paste, which I love, and then maybe an egg yolk or two inside if you buy the premium ones. And then there's another one that has kind of a nut filling with, uh, I don't know, it's hard to describe. It's like a, a nut with a, a paste. Uh, but anyway, the lotus paste is my favorite. They've come up with just about every kind of flavor of mooncake you can imagine, including nasi lemak, which if you're not in Malaysia or Southeast Asia, it's basically nasi lemak means fat rice. Um, It's rice with uh, cooked in coconut milk, pandan perhaps, and uh, peanuts, and uh, ikan belis, little tiny dried sardini type things, Um, and usually a hard-boiled egg, sambal, which is a spicy sauce. You know, I just suddenly realized how hard it is to describe nasi lemak to someone who has no idea what nasi lemak is. Anyway, they've got nasi lemak-flavored mooncakes, a kopi-o, which is uh, something we call our coffee here, which is coffee without milk, and marmite, yuck, ew, disgusting, no thank you, gross I don't know how you people eat that Marmite crap. It is so disgusting. Anyway, time for mooncakes with unusual fest uh, flavors. This is a picture of a mooncake, a rather odd-looking pink one. But uh, and there's a whole bunch of ads for Maxis. Okay, Maxis, you owe me money. If you haven't noticed already, the stores are filled with mooncakes. A little over two weeks until the uh, Mid-Autumn Festival, we've been inundated with plethoras of mooncakes from various bakeries and hotels. Everybody puts their special packaging together. Uh, Some of us have tried a few, and uh, the pink color makes me think of pink champagne, the writer says, uh, which, believe it or not, is a flavor of mooncake, albeit a snowskin version, and far from the strangest one. There you go. That's a very typical-looking mooncake there on the screen. If you're listening to the podcast, check out the link in our show notes. Um... Yeah, uh, mooncakes come in all kinds of flavor. The nasi Lamak moon mooncake was all the rage a few years ago. Uh, coffee uh, aficionados, uh, maybe a kopi-o mooncake or a double espresso mooncake. Yeah, they got them. Uh, fruity and boozy flavors abound. Apple vodka and yuzu sochu is another one. Uh, Marmite-flavored mooncakes, you can have all of them, no thank you. Uh, So anyway, there's a ton of different kinds, and the packaging is very cool. Check this out, some of the packaging. Again, if you're living in Malaysia or Southeast Asia, this is like a no-brainer. It's like, yeah, so what, big deal. But for our folks who are not in Southeast Asia, this is kind of interesting for you, so there you go. Chocolate mooncakes, now that's a cool idea. By the way, my neighbor, uh, Peter, uh, who has a an Airbnb next door to me. He's got some great tenants and guests. They're all very considerate, nice, good people. Uh, Peter is such a sweetheart. Uh, when little things happen or whatever, we keep an eye on each other's properties and things. And he is the nicest guy. He actually bought us a packet of mooncakes, and gave it to us as a, as a gift. It's such a nice thing. And in fact, that's what people will do. It's a nice gift to get, um, to give uh, mooncakes, especially now, of course, during uh, mooncake season. So yeah, check out the link. It's in our show notes. It's from the Malay Mail, and it's very, very cool. All right, we've got one more, and then we're going to get on with our book here. As you know, we uh, usually wind up this part of the show with a good news story. And man, I got one. <laughs> it's from uh, animalchannel.co. The link is in our show notes, and do check it out. Read the whole article. Shelter Pity, which is a pit bull, meets new dad for the first time and can't stop hugging him. It was love at first sight for these two. Losing a pet leaves a void in all of us, of course. It's incredibly difficult to move forward acceptance, moving on, is something else. We deal with loss differently, no rules or steps on how to do it. We just do as we learn to live life without our pets when they pass. People find many different ways to fill the void. Some need time before adopting another pet. Others find it easiest to bring a new pet in their home right away. Well, Mary and Mark McCraw once had a rescue dog named Mishka. Loved her very much. She meant a lot to them. Sadly, though, she was diagnosed with cancer and passed away a few months after. The couple wasn't sure if they were ready to adopt to fill the void that she left. Um, a new dog could either remind them of Mishka and her life, or could be as painful when the new dog would leave them, as eventually, of course, sooner or later would happen. And then Mary and Mark saw a dog up for adoption, and they knew it was time. It was time to move forward, get a new dog, give them a chance at having a forever home. They saw Demi, who is now named Maggie. And one look at that dog captured their hearts. Mary wanted to meet her. Mark agreed that maybe it was time to get a new dog. They asked halfway their rescue if they could schedule a meet and greet. The couple was excited to meet Maggie, didn't expect much on their first meeting. And what happened next was the biggest telltale sign they were meant to be. I bent down so she wouldn't be intimidated. Within seconds, she was in my lap and in my life. Her story broke our hearts. Meeting her was love at first sight. It was an instant connection. We felt like she was meant to be with us. And there is Mark and Maggie. (laughs) What a great story. Anyway, they adopted her. Life is good. She's getting along fine with everybody. And by the way, to those of you who say pities are dangerous and they wouldn't trust pit bulls, etc., let me tell you, there are no dangerous dogs. There are dangerous owners. There are bad owners. There are no bad dogs. You raise dogs the right way, And no matter what the breed, everything will be fine. There are no bad dogs. There are bad owners. Keep that in mind. Check out, anyway, the rest of that story is in our our show notes. And uh, it's great. It really is a fantastic story about about adopting any dog, really. Not just a pity, but, uh, yeah, in that case. All right, ready to move on? I am. We're going to uh, continue on here. I'm not sure if we'll get to the end of our book tonight or not. We're doing Sherlock Holmes, and uh, then we'll be moving on. I think we've got one more chapter left after this one, and uh, each chapter is a new adventure. We have the uh, barreled coronet, which has uh, wound up a part of it missing, and uh, this fellow's son, as a suspect, he's told his story, and it's now up to Sherlock. "'to let us know what's going on. "'Well, Sherlock Holmes sat silent for some few minutes, "'with his brows knitted and his eyes fixed upon the fire. "'Did you receive much company?' he asked. "'None, save my partner with his family "'and an occasional friend of Arthur's. "'Sir George Burnwell's been several times lately. "'No one else, I think. "'Did you go out much in society?' "'Arthur does. Mary and I stay at home. We neither of us care for it. "'That is unusual for a young girl. "'Oh, she's of a quiet nature. Besides, she's not so young. She is four and twenty. "'This matter, from what you say, seems to have been a shock to her also.' "'Terrible. She's even more affected than I. "'You have neither of you any doubt as to your son's guilt?' How can we have, when I saw him with my own eyes, with the coronet in his hands? Well, I hardly consider that conclusive proof. Was the remainder of the coronet at all injured? Uh, yes, it, it was twisted. Do not think, then, that he might have been trying to straighten it? God bless you. You are doing what you can for him, and for me. But it is too heavy a task. What was he doing there at all? If his purpose were innocent, why didn't he say so? Uh, Precisely. And if it were guilty, why did he not invent a lie? His silence appears to me to cut both ways. There are several singular points about this case. What did the police think of the noise which awoke you from your sleep? They consider that it might be caused by Arthur's closing his bedroom door. A likely story. If a man bent on felony would slam his door to his wake a household, uh, what did they say then of the disappearance of those gems? They're still sounding the planking and probing the furniture in the hopes of finding them. Have they thought of looking outside the house? "'Oh, yes, they've shown extraordinary energy. "'The the whole garden has already been minutely examined.' Uh, "'Now, my dear sir,' said Holmes, "'it is not obvious to you now "'that this matter really strikes very much deeper "'than either you or the police were at first inclined to think. "'It appeared to you to be a simple case. "'To me, it seems exceedingly complex. "'Consider What is involved by your theory? You suppose that your son came down from his bed, went at great risk to your dressing room, opened your bureau, took out your coronet, broke off by main force a small portion of it, went off to some other place, concealed three gems out of thirty-nine with such skill that nobody can find them, and then returned the other thirty-six into the room "'which he exposed himself to the greatest danger of being discovered. "'I ask you now, is such a theory tenable?' "'But what other is there?' cried the banker with a gesture of despair. "'If his motives were innocent, why doesn't he explain them?' "'It is our task to find that out,' replied Holmes. "'So now, if you please, Mr. Holder,' We'll set off straight for Strutham together, and devote an hour to glancing a little more closely into the details. Well, my friend insisted upon my accompanying them in their expedition, which I was eager to do, for my curiosity and sympathy were deeply stirred by the story to which we'd listened. I confess that the guilt of the banker's son appeared to me to be just as obvious as it did to his unhappy father. But still, I had such faith in Holmes' judgment, I felt there must be some grounds for hope as long as he was dissatisfied with the accepted explanation. He hardly spoke a word the whole way out to the southern suburb, but sat with his chin upon his breast and his hat drawn over his eyes, sunk in the deepest of thought. Our client appeared to have taken fresh heart at the little glimpse of hope which had been presented to him, and he even broke into a desultory chat with me over his business affairs. A short railway journey and a shorter walk brought us to Fairbank, the modest resident of the great financier. Fairbank was a good-sized square house of white stone standing back a little from the road, a double carriage sweep, with a snow-clad lawn stretched down in front of two large iron gates, which closed the entrance. On the right side was a small wooden thicket, which led to a narrow path between two neat hedges stretching from the road to the kitchen door, and forming the tradesman's entrance. On the left ran a lane which led to the stables, and wasn't itself within the grounds at all, being a public, though little-used, thoroughfare. Holmes left us standing at the door and walked slowly all around the house, across the front, down the tradesman's path, and so round by the garden, behind into the stable lane. So long was he that Mr. Holder and I went into the dining room and waited by the fire until he should return. We were sitting there in silence when the door opened and a young lady came in. She was rather above the middle height, slim, dark hair and eyes, which seemed the darker against the absolute pallor of her skin. I do not think that I have ever seen such deadly paleness in a woman's face. Her lips, too, were bloodless, but her eyes were flushed with crying. As she swept silently into the room, she impressed me with a greater sense of grief than the banker had done in the morning and it was the more striking in her as she evidently a woman of strong character with immense capacity for self-restraint. Disregarding my presence, she went straight to her uncle and passed her hand over his head with a sweet, womanly caress. "'You've given orders that Arthur should be liberated, have you not, Dad?' she asked. "'No, no, my girl. The matter must be probed to the bottom.' "'I am so sure that he's innocent. "'You know what woman's instincts are. "'I know that he's done no harm "'and that you will be sorry for having acted so harshly. "'Why, then, is he silent if he's innocent? "'Who knows? "'Perhaps because he was so angry that you would suspect him. "'How could I help but suspecting him "'when I actually saw him with the coronet in his hand?' Oh, but he had only picked it up to look at it. Oh, do, do take my word for it that he is innocent. Let the matter drop. Say no more. It is so dreadful to think that our dear Arthur is in prison. I shall never let it drop until the gems are found. Never, Mary. Your affection for Arthur blinds you as to the awful consequences to me. Far from hushing the thing up, I've brought a gentleman down from London to inquire more deeply into it. This gentleman, she asked, facing round to me. No, his friend. He wished us to leave him alone. He's round in the stable lane now. The stable lane? She raised her dark eyebrows. What can he hope to find there? Ah, this, I suppose, is he. I trust, sir, that you will succeed in proving... What I feel sure is the truth, that my cousin Arthur is innocent of this crime. I fully share your opinion, and I trust with you that we may prove it, returned Holmes, going back to the mat to knock the snow from his shoes. I believe I have the honor of addressing Miss Mary Holder. Might I ask you a question or two? Oh, pray do, sir. "'if it may help clear this horrible affair up. "'You heard nothing yourself last night? "'Nothing, until my uncle here began to speak loudly. "'I heard that, and I came down. "'You shut up the windows and doors the night before. "'Did you fasten all the windows? "'Yes. "'Were they all fastened this morning? "'Yes. "'You have a maid who has a sweetheart.' I think you remarked to your uncle last night that she'd been out to see him. Uh, Yes, and, and she was the girl who waited in the drawing room, and who may have heard uncle's remarks about the coronet. I see. You infer that she may have gone out to tell her sweetheart, and that the two may have planned the robbery? What is the good of all these vague theories, cried the banker impatiently, when I've told you I saw Arthur with the coronet in his hands. Wait a little, Mr. Holder. We will come back to that. About this girl, Miss Holder, you saw her return by the kitchen door, I presume? Uh, Yes, when I went to see if the door was fastened for the night, I met her slipping in. I saw the man, too, in the gloom. Do you know him? Oh, yes. He's the green grocer who brings our vegetables round. His name is Francis Prosper. He stood, said Holmes, to the left of the door, that is to say, further up the path than is necessary to reach the door. Yes, he did. And he's a man with a wooden leg. Something like fear sprang up in the young lady's expressive black eyes. "'Why, you are a magician,' she said. "'How do you know that?' She smiled, but there was no answering smile in Holmes' thin, eager face. "'I should be very glad now to go upstairs,' said he. "'I shall probably wish to go over the outside of the house again.' Perhaps I'd better take a look at the lower windows before I go up. He walked swiftly, from one to the other, pausing only at the large one, which looked from the hall into the stable lane. This he opened, made a very careful examination of the sill with his powerful magnifying lens. And now we shall go upstairs, said he at last. And that's where we'll wind up our book tonight. We will continue and wrap up this adventure of the Barreled Coronet coming up in our next stream on Wednesday night, which will also be a uh, Murdeka special. It's our, uh, for lack of a better term, Independence Day here in Malaysia, on Wednesday, 31st day of August, and that's when we will be back. Meantime, have a great rest of your week. Thanks so much for uh, popping along here. Don't forget to like and subscribe and follow. And, of course, find our podcast over on whatever your favorite podcast platform is. Just search for The Jay Sheldon Show. And thanks to our sponsor, BarkBox.com. Check out their link in our show notes. It's the very top link. And uh, get yourself a deal on a BarkBox from Miko. <laughs> I'll see you again Wednesday. Have a great night, everybody. This is the J. Sheldon Show.